Amen. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us this morning. Thank you, Daniel, for the reading and the prayer this morning. And uh, good morning and happy 4th to everyone. Uh, we're excited to have you here today worshiping with us. You may notice that there are a bunch of kids in here, and that's because this is one of our family worship Sundays. So uh, at Solid Rock, we believe that uh, the family is the primary vehicle for discipleship for uh, a child, and so we want to uh, own that and to put some something behind that and say, hey, we want to gather all together so that the family can have a worship experience. So we're happy to have you here. If you have brought younger kids, I just want to soothe you, encourage you, don't worry. We know when we invite kids to come to the service, kids sometimes make noise. So I don't want you to feel like you've got to be on pins and needles, every little noise a kid makes. Don't worry about it. Again, we know what we're up to when we're doing this. So uh, we are going to be in John 15 today. We're going to be continuing in our series on the Gospel of John. And I just wanted to give you a little bit of background of where we've been recently. So last week, uh, Jason talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit. So that Jesus, when he was leaving, uh, when he told his disciples he'd be leaving, he was comforting them by telling them, I'm not leaving you alone. You are going to have a comforter. You're going to have a helper. You're going to have an advocate. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit who is God, who indwells all of us as believers and allows us not only to live in righteousness, but also recalls to mind the things that Jesus taught his disciples, the things that Jesus has taught us in scripture. So today in John 15, we're going to be talking about this metaphor that Jesus is going to set up of a vine. So, okay, it's family worship Sunday, right? We've got the kids in here. So we're going to take advantage of that. I'd like to invite, if you are a kid or consider yourself a kid, I'd like to invite you to come up here and just sit right up front here on the stage. We are going to take a look at what we're going to be talking about here today. So come on up, kiddos. And Miss Nina, thank you for bringing our props. We're going to see what it looks like, what a vine looks like. So come here, just take a seat right here. Good to see all your smiling faces. Okay, so when you're looking at this vine, kids, what is, what is this on the vine? What are these purple things? Grapes. Yes, very good. Very good. What are some things that grapes are good for? What do you use grapes for? Eating. That's right. Yeah, you can eat a grape. You can just have one off the vine. It's a nice fruit. It's fun. What else can you use grapes for? Eating them would be healthy. That's right. Got to keep those fruits and vegetables strong. How else do we use grapes? Yeah, Calvin. Yeah, you can make wine out of grapes. That's right. That was Pastor Jason's son, Calvin, everybody. Just want to let you know that. So that's good. How about raisins? Anybody like raisins? Not many raisin eaters here, maybe. What happens when they sneak into your cookie and you think it's a chocolate chip? Oh, disappointment. That perseveres until you're adults, kids. You'll always be disappointed when you see raisins in your cookies. Okay, so I want to ask you a question then about these grapes, which have many uses. So what would happen to this little bunch of grapes if it's on the vine and then I pull real hard and I pull it off and then I take one of these grapes, I pull that off. You see this little stem that's left? Is another grape going to grow where that is? No, why not? That's right. How in the world is a little bunch of grapes with an empty stem supposed to grow when we separated it from its vine, right? Where is it going to get its nutrients? That's how these fruits grow, is they get nutrients from this main vine. So when we take this branch off the vine, when we take, when we see this little part that doesn't have fruit, 
it's not going to be able to grow any more fruit because it's separate from the vine. Okay, thank y'all so much for your help. Y'all can go back to your seats. I appreciate it. Thank you, Miss Nina. Okay, so what we were just talking about, what the kids realize, I think what all of us here realize is we know that if a branch is taken off a vine, that vine's rooted in the ground, and then those branches are rooted in the vine, if we take that branch off, there's not going to be any more fruit. It's not going to receive the nutrients it needs. It's not going to be able to grow fruit. That's basically what Jesus is talking about in this passage today in John 15. So we're going to see that he's going to set up this metaphor. He is the true vine. We are the branches. And he's going to command us to stay rooted in him. Stay rooted to him as the main vine so that we can produce fruit. So in John 15, uh, he starts out setting up this metaphor here in verse 1. Jesus talking to his disciples says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So we see in this metaphor, he is the vine, we are the branches, and then the father is the vine dresser, the one who would take care of the vine, tend to the vine, make sure that the vine is growing the way that it should. Part of that's going to be pruning that we're going to talk about later. And Jesus talks about two types of branches that exist on this vine. We've got branches that don't produce fruit, and then we have branches that do. So we're going to be talking a lot in this passage about bearing fruit. So I just want to make sure we know what are we talking about when we're talking about bearing fruit? What does it mean for us as believers to bear fruit? We know a vine, it's got branches. If it grows grapes, it's bearing fruit. What does it mean for us as people to bear fruit? So here's a a definition I would give us to work with. Bearing fruit is allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you to think, speak, and act in a way that is consistent with the person of Jesus and the teaching of Scripture. So that's what it looks like for us to bear fruit, and examples are always helpful. So what are some examples of bearing fruit? One is good works. So think about something good you could do for someone, someone some way that you could uh, improve somebody's day. What's a nice thing you could do for someone? Those are good works. That's an example of bearing fruit. Um, obedience to the commands of Scripture. Sometimes we want to do something, but we see in Scripture that we have been commanded not to, and so we say, you know what? Scripture says I shouldn't. I'm not going to. I'm going to obey what Scripture says. Or maybe on the other end, we see things that we don't really want to do. We probably wouldn't do if it were up to us, but we see that Scripture is commanding us to, and we say, you know what? This is hard, but I believe that Scripture is God's word. I'm going to obey. I'm going to follow what Scripture tells me. That's an example of bearing fruit. And we also have to think about what does it look like to be fruitful believers in the midst of sin struggles. We know that the moment we believe in Jesus, we've been granted forgiveness of sins, but we still see sin exist in our lives. But are we responding to that sin with repentance, with growth, with perseverance? That's how we can even bear fruit, how we can honor God, even in the midst of our sin struggles, by walking through those in that way, that bears fruit. And then another is obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Like I talked about, anyone who's believed in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is often going to nudge us, guide us to do things. Maybe the Holy Spirit is asking you to talk to someone that you don't know and you're not sure why. Maybe the Holy Spirit is telling you to 
Share the gospel of Jesus with somebody that you don't know and you don't know why. Maybe the Spirit is uh, prompting you to be generous in some specific cause, and so you obey. Maybe the Holy Spirit is bringing someone to mind for you to pray for, and so you do it. That's an example of bearing fruit, being obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And of course, there's also what we see in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. So next week, we're starting VBS. And uh, I don't know about for you if you went to VBS, but when I went to VBS, I'm pretty sure I just learned the fruit of the Spirit every year. I'm pretty sure that's all we talked about, and it's great. But uh, we learned it there, and that's also an example of what it looks like to bear fruit. So Galatians 5, 22-23 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. So whenever we are exhibiting these qualities, that is bearing fruit, and that's, that fruit is ultimately rooted in the Spirit. And it's so important that we get the order right here. It's so important that we understand this, that the bearing of fruit comes from a relationship with Jesus. It comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It does not earn us our place on the vine. Bearing fruit is not what earns us a place on the vine Fruit is what comes out of our true relationship with Jesus. If I was to go to the grocery store and I was to take a real grape and I was to tie it on one of those branches, that doesn't mean that that branch bore fruit. That is a fake vine. I'm sorry, kids, if you didn't know. It was a fake vine. If I tie some real fruit on it, it doesn't mean that it actually bore fruit. So we have to understand that our bearing fruit is out of our relationship with Jesus. It's out of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So like I said, Jesus gives us two examples of uh, branches that exist on the vine. And the first is one, uh, the branches that don't produce fruit. So there's a couple of different categories here I think we can think of. So one would be people who saw Jesus' work, heard his message, and said, no, I don't believe what he's saying. I don't care who he is. I think he's a blasphemer calling himself the Son of God. I think he does miracles by the work of a demon. No, I don't believe in Jesus. So you can see those would be people that would not be producing fruit, not part of the vine that would be taken away. But then I think there's also uh, a category of people that they maybe intellectually or culturally or socially hold to the message of Jesus, but maybe haven't truly placed their faith in Jesus. And so there's no fruit because there's no true relationship in the vine. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. So in contrast to the branches that don't produce fruit, we see that there are branches that do produce fruit. And what happens to them? These branches are pruned. So if you have a green thumb, you like to work in the garden, uh, you're not like me for one, but I did a little research on what pruning is. And so what pruning is, is you take these excess uh, branches, you take these buds that aren't producing good fruit, and you remove them so that the healthy buds can produce better, higher quality fruit. So it's a part of cultivating this vine to be the most productive that it can be. And so if we are people that have believed in Jesus, we are people that are wanting to bear fruit, we can expect that we are going to undergo a spiritual pruning. We can expect that there are going to be parts of our lives that are restricting the amount of fruit that we're producing in Jesus. There are things that are getting in the way of following Jesus, and we can expect that those things will be pruned. And if you know anything about pruning shears, you know that pruning shears are sharp. 
There's a pain sometimes associated with it. There's a trial. There's difficulty associated with this pruning process for us as believers. But ultimately, our hope is in the fact that who's the one doing the pruning? It's the Father. The Father is taking care of it. The Father is the one pruning us to make us more productive vines, more more productive branches, so we can trust him. We know that what he's doing is ultimately going to be for our good and for his glory. Now, as we move into verse 3, Jesus is going to say this, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So Jesus is encouraging his disciples, and by association, he's encouraging us as believers that they're part of the vine because they have heard Jesus' message, they've seen who Jesus is, and they have believed, and they have obeyed. So this word here for clean in verse 3 is actually the same root word as the one in verse 2, referring to the pruning. So they're related. So those branches that are being pruned are also those ones considered clean because they have obeyed Jesus' message. So the people who are being pruned are considered clean, a part of this vine, if they believe in Jesus and his message. So this tells us that anybody who is a fruit-bearing part of this plant, we will be pruned, but we also know that we are clean, that Jesus considers us clean. And Jesus tells those who have believed this message to abide in him, and he also promises to abide in us. Just like if you cut that branch off, just like I demonstrated, when you rip that branch off, it's not going to produce more grapes. Once you take the grape off, it's going to be an empty stem the rest of the time. And that fruit that's there, it's also going to start to wilt because it's not getting the nutrients it needs from the vine. Just like that, if we are not abiding in Jesus, if we are not being fully rooted in him, then we too are going to struggle to bear good fruit because he's the one that it's sourced in. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what it's going to mean for us to abide in Jesus here in this next section. In verse 5, Jesus continues uh, on this metaphor and telling, reiterating what it looks like for him to be the vine, for us to be the branches. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my Disciples, Jesus reiterates that the only way we produce fruit is by abiding in him, the true vine. If we aren't abiding in Jesus, we cannot produce that fruit that's pleasing to God. We find ourselves in legalism, trying to prove ourselves, trying to avoid guilt by doing good works if we're not sourced in Jesus with these good works. So, okay, let's talk about it. What does it mean to abide? So the Greek word for abide is the word meno, which is often translated remain or stay. So you hear that, and we don't want to think that this is some passive thing that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to sit around. We're supposed to do nothing. That's how we abide. Anyone who has tried to follow Jesus knows that trying to follow Jesus is an endeavor, 
and that it is anything but passive. We have to be active to stay rooted to Jesus. To abide in Jesus requires something of us. It's not some word that is passive. But to abide in Jesus means to remain and stay connected to the person and teaching of Jesus and to recognize that our whole identity is rooted in and nourished by him. Our identity drives our action. More than we know, our identity drives our actions. If we have a positive identity and we live in that, we're going to see positives come out of that. But if we have a mistaken identity, we don't understand our identity, we're going to see that we run into trouble. There's a a movie um, called The Kingdom of Heaven that is set during the time of the Crusades, and it follows the story of this blacksmith named Balian who, through a series of events, becomes a knight and then is charged with defending the city of Jerusalem against invaders. And as he's looking around, he sees his army, and he sees that there's a few trained soldiers, but he sees that most of the people there are commoners, nothing special. They don't have a true identity in their culture, in their society. And so looking around, he tells them all to kneel. And he gives this oath that's given to knights. And he tells them all, rise, a knight. And so these commoners who have had no identity, they've had no true name, they've had nothing to hang their hat on, they're now given this high rank and privilege here in this city. And a priest grabs Balaam and he says, what are you doing? Do you think making a man a knight makes him a better fighter? And Balian turns slowly and he tells the priest, Yes. What Balian's saying is if they have this new identity as a knight, it doesn't matter. They've never picked up a sword before. They have got no training. They have a new identity. And if they live out that identity, it's going to change the way they act. And it's the same for us when we believe in Jesus. It should change the way we act when we abide in Jesus. And so to abide means to faithfully live out that identity, to bear fruit in that identity, And the reason we can do that is because we're being nourished and led by Jesus. We're being led and nourished through the Holy Spirit, through his teachings. We're able to do that. But it's also important that we call to mind that Jesus also gives a warning in this passage to those who do not abide. Verse 6 says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Jesus is telling us that any branch that does not stay connected to him is going to be unable to bear fruit. And ultimately, those who do not abide in Jesus, those who do not hold to him, the person and teaching of Jesus, they will find judgment. Scripture is very clear on this, that the life of a believer, the life of a true believer in Jesus is one that bears fruit, that shows some of the things we talked about, those good works, obedience to the commands of Scripture, In the face of sin, seeing repentance, seeing growth, seeing perseverance, seeing obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So if there's no fruit in our lives, if we can take an honest look at ourselves and say, I don't know that I'm bearing fruit, it's time for some self-reflection. We need to reflect, have I truly put my faith in Jesus? Again, it's easier for us to think about, oh, the people who outright they've rejected Jesus. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. But what about us when we don't see fruit in our own lives? Are we able to reflect on that? And there are going to be people, um, and sometimes we find ourselves falling into these patterns where maybe Jesus is more an intellectual, a cultural, a social belief that I have rather than something I'm really focused on that 
really is truly touching the heart. So we have to examine ourselves. And also, if there's a brother or sister in your life, and you see in their life, you see there's areas of of disobedience, there's not fruit, it may be an appropriate time to talk to them. And I want to be very clear on this. We are not the fruit police who go around checking that everyone has the appropriate amount of fruit and that they are truly rooted in the vine, but rather this could be an opportunity for a conversation, gentle, compassionate. Hey, I know what you tell me you believe about Jesus, and I believe you believe those things too, but hey, I'm seeing this in your life. Let's talk about it. Where are you in your faith? That may be a time where the Spirit is leading you into someone else's life to be an encouragement to them to help them abide more fully in the vine. And we also, we can look at, uh, take times where we don't see fruit, and we can have that time of self-reflection. But on the other side, we also can't look at every moment of our life in which we don't have that fruit, in which we don't have those good works, that obedience to Scripture, the proper response to sin, obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We can't look at every snapshot in our lives and think, oh, well, I didn't bear fruit there, so I must not be saved. Ultimately, our fruit comes from our relationship with Jesus, and Jesus provides security. All of us who have believed in Jesus are secure in him. We do not have to wonder moment by moment, am I still saved? I didn't see the fruit. I was disobedient. I must not be saved. He knew. He knew when he gave his life for you that there would be times that we still struggle. He knew that, and he's there for us during those times. Think about the life of a vine. Think about the life of other plants. There are dormant seasons in planting. There are planting seasons. There are growing seasons. There are harvesting seasons. Plants go through these ups and downs. And while as believers, we don't get to choose to take a dormant period for three months and say, no, I don't have to produce any fruit. We have to recognize that the Christian life is a series of peaks and valleys. The Spirit is growing us more and more into the image of Jesus But there's ups and downs, and we know it. Anyone who's tried to walk with Jesus knows there are times of highs and there's times of lows. Ultimately, when we're rooted in the vine, our salvation is rooted in the person of Jesus, and that is secure. We don't have to worry. If we have truly placed our faith in Jesus, we do not have to worry. We are secure in him. But for those who do abide, Jesus gives this encouragement in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Again, the source of this fruit is the person and work and teachings of Jesus. That is where we are sourced. And ultimately that fruit serves a grand purpose, and that is to bring glory to God. He's worth it. He's the only one who's worth the glory that this would bring. Anytime we are doing good works, we are bringing glory to God. And the reason we bring glory to God, other people can see him. He's worth it. We want other people to see who he is. We want other people to see how worth it he is. So when we're bearing fruit, we're helping others see, this is the great God that I serve. He's the one who can produce this in me. I do want to just touch briefly on verse 7 when Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, Jason talked a a little bit about this topic um, when he talked about praying in Jesus' name. And he talked about how just stamping in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer isn't a magic formula that now makes God beholden to do whatever 
you've asked him. But rather, this is all, again, rooted back into our identity. When we are abiding in Jesus, it changes the things we ask of him. When we are abiding in Jesus, we have a whole new perspective. The things we ask are different because of the influence that he has had on our lives. If we abide in Jesus and his words, it makes a difference. Okay, kids, I want to ask you a a question. Uh, Before I do, I want to give the parents a little bit of context. So a a few weeks ago in kids' ministry, we talked about the Jerusalem Council. And one thing they talked about is, hey, we need some people to give some arguments for why and how Gentiles can be grafted into the church. So we had some silly things that we debated at the beginning. And one was whether kids should have to do chores, have time out, be grounded. So kids in the room, I'm asking you, um, raise your hand if you do not like chores, time out, or being grounded. Raise your hand if you don't like those things. That's right. Come on. It's okay to admit it. You don't like it. How many of you, if you were parents and you had the ability to choose, how many of you would get rid of chores, and being in timeout and being grounded, we get rid of those? Maybe some. Man, we've got some righteous folks in here recognizing the importance of discipline in their lives. Very good. Okay, now parents, I want to ask you the same thing. I want to ask you, when you were kids, how many of you did not like chores, timeout, or being grounded? Okay, most of you. Good. How many, when you became parents, thought, I should get rid of chores, timeouts, and being grounded? Okay, we've got a couple. Oh, okay, so we got some kids change their mind too. The reason you didn't decide to, now you have the decision-making power when you're a parent, right? But things have changed. You're not a kid anymore. You're a parent. You recognize and you realize the importance of those things and the role they can have in your child's life to do a greater good than just them being happy that they're not having to do chores. That's how it is when we abide in Jesus. Abiding believers are aligned with the will of God. It changes the things we wish for, changes the decisions we make, changes the things we ask for. So when Jesus promises that whatever we ask will be given, he's assuming that people abiding in him are going to be asking for things that are to give God glory, to follow his will. And that's what we're called to as believers, as people who are abiding in the vine. So in this next section, Jesus talks about the love he has for his people. For those people who are abiding in him, this is what he says, verses 9 through 11. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus tells us that he loves us with the same love that the Father loves him. Let that sink in. The love that has existed from eternity past to eternity future between the Father, Son, Spirit, in the Trinity is being reflected to us as people who are in Christ. What a wonderful promise that is. And he says if we uh, obey his commandments, we will abide in his love. This isn't a threat. He's not saying, okay, but if you don't obey my commandments, no more love for you. Remember, he is comparing this to the love that exists between father and son, that the son was obedient to the father. That love remains. That love is not at all based on circumstances. It is sure. He's tell- don't think of it as a threat. Think of it as an encouragement. Stay rooted in my love. That's the place for you to be. 
The way that you can stay rooted in my love is if you obey my commandments. This love is here. Stay rooted in it. Don't wander off. Don't look for something better. There's nothing better. There's nothing else for you out there. Stay rooted in my love. Abide in my love. Hey, if you obey my commandments, that's one way of abiding in my love. And just as the fathers love me, it's the way I'm going to love you. That's what he's telling us this morning. That's what he's saying to us. Obeying Jesus' commands not only shows that we love him, but it also shows that he loves us. When people see us obeying the commands of Jesus, they should recognize there's really no good reason this person should be obeying this Jesus unless he really means something to him. And I bet if he really means something to him, he really loves him. A way of us showing Jesus' love for us is by obeying his commands. Because we know that he's worth following. And we can show other people that he's worth following and obeying as well. Jesus has told his disciples and he's telling us who believe in him all of this. Not to worry or burden or threaten us. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to find joy in this. He says, I want my joy to be in you and your joy to be complete. To stay rooted in my love, to follow my commandments, there's joy in that. It's not for the sake of it. There's joy to be found in it, true joy that transcends all circumstances. Abide in my love, abide in me. And in this final section, Jesus is going to give us a practical picture of what it means to obey his commandments and more of what our identity is as people who obey starting in verse 12, going through verse 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus gives us a specific command in this portion of the passage that's going to mirror what he is about to do for his disciples and what he has done for us. Jesus tells his disciples, and he's telling us here today, to love one another with the same love that he has shown. He says the greatest expression of love is that I would lay down my life for my friends. And then what does he say next? You are my friends. He's telling him he's willing to lay down his life for them. He's ultimately going to show them he's going to lay down his life for them. But it's not only that. Jesus did lay down his life for his friends, but he did even more than that. Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Jesus laid down his life for his friends, and he laid down his life for his enemies. He laid down his life for his enemies so they could become his friends. When I was born, I was an enemy of God. I didn't want anything to do with God. I wasn't seeking God. I was trying to build a kingdom for myself. I didn't want anyone else to receive the glory. It was all about me. But Jesus died while I was his enemy so that I could become his friend. 
And this story is not unique to me. All of us, before we place our faith in Jesus, are enemies of God, lost in our sin. If we don't believe in Jesus, we're enemies of God, but he has made a way. He's made a way through his death on the cross. He was willingly beaten, mocked, and ultimately crucified on our behalf. But that wasn't the end of the story. After three days, he rose again, showing he was who he said he was, that he was true, that we could have faith in him, and that ultimately we too would rise again with him. He did that for his friends, and he did that for his enemies. And not only did he do that for us as enemies so that we could be called servants, we could do a lot worse than being Jesus' servants, right? It would be a privilege to be called Jesus' servants, and we are called to serve Jesus. But he said, no longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. And it's because he has revealed to us what he is doing, what his plans are, who he is. He's shown us. The servant doesn't need to know what the master's up to. Friends, they're going to know what you're up to. He has called us friends. And in light of this, Jesus is calling us to also lay down our lives for another. So what is Jesus asking us to do here? If I died on the cross tomorrow, it wouldn't help any of you. So what is he asking me to do? I think there's three ways that we can talk about that Jesus is asking us to lay down our lives for one another. First, a way we love, a way we lay down our life for one another is to love like Jesus loved. Jesus is gentle, understanding, compassionate, full of grace, full of forgiveness. Jesus is also honest. Jesus can also confront us. And if I'm going to treat somebody in these ways, if I'm going to be gentle with someone, compassionate with someone, I'm going to take time to forgive someone, I'm going to make the bold choice to be honest with someone, it requires something of us. It can be uncomfortable. Sometimes we don't feel like forgiving, but we're called to forgive. It requires something of us. Jesus is saying, lay down your life. Do what is required so that you can do it on behalf of another. Show that love to one another by doing hard things for the betterment of someone else. Second thing, he's also calling us to lay down our rights on behalf of one another. On a day where we celebrate freedom and independence, we need to know that as believers in Jesus, freedom is not something to be held on to as a most important value or something to be wielded against someone else. In the kingdom of God, freedom is a responsibility. It's a responsibility to someone else. Earlier in Galatians, Paul is going to say, you've been called to freedom, brothers, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but in love serve one another. This freedom we have in Christ, this freedom we enjoy in this country, in the kingdom of God, we're meant to have this as a responsibility. Something is asked of us. We're asked to do something with this freedom. And third, to share the hope of Jesus with another. Another way we lay down our lives for one another is to share the hope of Jesus with one another. Whether it's someone who is a believer in Jesus and they need some encouragement, they need to be reminded every day, just like all of us do, of the gospel, that God has made a way of forgiveness for, for sins through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. But then there are also people who don't know that hope. God's calling us to lay down our lives, to, to share with people what he's done, to share the hope that you have, the freedom you have, the love you experience in Jesus. He's calling us to do that for others, to make known this hope to others. 
Ultimately, one of the best things that we can do is point people to the God who makes his enemies his friends. As we close this morning, I just want to leave you with a few questions just to think on. First, where have you seen in your life that you are being pruned? Where are you undergoing trials that are meant to strengthen your faith, meant to lead to better fruit in your life? Where are you seeing that pruning? How can we respond in the midst of that? Second, what does it mean for you to bear fruit in this season of your life? We have different seasons in our lives. We have different spheres of influence. God is calling us to bear fruit in them. One of the most wonderful things about the body of Christ is the diversity that exists that is brought in unity in the person of Jesus. He is sending us out as missionaries to wherever we are, to wherever our mission is, living the mission in our everyday lives like we talk here that's in our statement. Where is he calling you to bear fruit in this season of your life? Third, are there areas of your life where you're striving to find a place on the vine rather than abiding? Where are you trying to earn the salvation that only Jesus can provide? What does it look like to abide instead of to strive? Fourth, how is God calling you to sacrificially love the people in your life today? What are those ways of the ways we talked about? What are ways that God is calling you to sacrificially love someone in your life? And finally, what does it mean to you that Jesus would be willing to call you not just a servant, but a friend? What does it say about our Savior that he calls us friends? Now, as we close, there are going to be prayer partners uh, up front. There are going to be elders out in the commons who are going to, who would love to talk to you about these things, love to pray with you, love to help just navigate what is God calling you to do? What's the spirit doing in you? How you can abide in Christ? And they would love to do that. But I just really want to close us uh, in prayer, just a time of thankfulness for what Jesus has done, who he is, and just a recognition in our hearts of what that means for us, what he's calling us to do. Let's pray. Father, we are just so grateful that you have given us a way to bear fruit. We are so grateful that you made a way through Jesus that we could be called your friends, that we could be connected to Jesus as the true vine and receive the spiritual nourishment, that our works wouldn't be empty and meaningless, but they would be a reflection of who you are. We thank you for that opportunity. We thank you for Jesus' sacrifice, making this all possible for us to know you, for us to serve you. We thank you that even in the midst of difficulty, even in this pruning process, that you have good in our mind, that you have good ends for us. We thank you that we can trust you. God, as your people who seek to do your will, who seek to bring you glory, we ask that you would just give us the strength to bear that good fruit. Lord, we know there's joy to be found in knowing you and bearing fruit. We ask also that you would be glorified. And that the fruit wouldn't just be things for us to hang on our mantle and say, look at what I've done, but that ultimately that fruit would point to you. And that ultimately as that fruit points to you, that more people could come to know what a joy, what an exciting opportunity, what a love we have in Jesus so that they can share in that with us as well. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.